It is an incredible blessing to just be in his presence. Thank you for sacrificing your time and your energies to bless us this morning. Your reward is in heaven. We don't give you too much praise, right? <laughs> All right. You can turn it down a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, let's, let's just pray, and then we'll, we'll get into our study. Genesis 28. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for um, our brothers and our sister who led us in worship. And we thank you that you've given uh, different people in the body different giftings for the edification of your church. And I'm blessed this morning, God. I feel like I'm in your presence, Lord. I know it's there always, Lord, but it's just great to be ministered to by your Spirit. And we love you, and we thank you for bringing us to this place, to bring, bringing us to a place where we can be together with brothers and sisters of like mind, like heart, one in Jesus Christ, and that you can speak to your church through your word. And Lord, give us ears to hear this morning what you'd have to say. And God, uh, like that one song we sang, Lord, just uh, change your church. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear and show your might, your mighty hand. Heal our streets and our land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, Genesis 28. We've been trekking through the book of Genesis, and we've been looking at the different patriarchs, as they're called in the Old Testament. Uh, we've, we ran into... Adam. Of course, we all know who Adam is. Um, and then we ran into uh, some other people that are of significance, Noah being one. And then we ran into Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. Jacob has a twin brother, Esau. Esau is a type of the flesh. Jacob is a type of the spirit. And in chapter 27, verses 41 through 46, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Jacob means heel catcher. It means deceiver. How would you like to be named heel catcher or deceiver? That's a wonderful name to have. A lot of people naming their kids some fun things today. That would be wonderful. Just skip the Jacob and go straight to naming their kid deceiver. Because of his blessings his father had given him. That's why he had held this grudge against his brother because Jacob had tricked his father into giving him the blessing instead of Esau. We talked about that last week. And he said to himself, Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother. Boy, you cross this guy and he wants to kill you. Definitely type of the flesh. 42, when Rebekah was told what her son Esau had said, obviously as she has some kind of intelligence in the household. She keeps hearing this stuff. She sent for her younger son, Jacob, and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. I want to help God out again yet a second time. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides, and when your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him. Yeah, right. You know how families forget things. I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Understandably, she's upset. Verse 46, Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. 
Esau married Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among these women of the land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. And all the mother-in-law said, no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Back at the end of Genesis 26, verse 34, it seems like there's an interesting pattern. He'll tell a story and then he'll give some little interesting bit of information at the bottom of each chapter. That though If you take those little is- interesting bits of information, they all kind of tie together. So back at the end of 26, verses 26 through 30, I'm sorry, chapter 26, verse 34, it says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and also Basemath, uh, daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a source of great grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And so Esau, he marries these daughters of these pagan people that were around him. These women didn't have the same family values. They did not worship the same God. They were not on the same page of their family. And there was uh, probably cultural differences, and there was definitely religious differences, and was a great source of strife to the parents of Esau. And if Jacob does the same, Rebecca says, I just want to die. I cannot handle another uh, you know, situation like this in my life. And so Rebecca, she's determined to uh, guide her favorite son's life, who is now 70-something, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> you know, sometimes it doesn't stop with moms, does it? She decided to help God out again by sending Jacob away, and sadly, this is the, the last time she sees him. When we decide to help God out, there's always, there are always casualties. There are always casualties. She tried to go ahead and, you know, teach Jacob to deceive here. And what happens? Well, he does steal the birthright, but he also loses that relationship with his brother. And it will be strained for a long time to come. And great pain will be coming into their lives. And now she goes ahead and says, hey, will will you go ahead and you just take off and go to this place? Seems like great common sense. But what does scripture teach us? before we make major decisions in our life, before we make decisions in our life. We build the altar. We seek the Lord. We find out, even in the simplest things, God, is this your will? What do I do during this circumstance? Lord, speak to me. There is a famine in the land, and so now I'm going to go down to Egypt because there's food there. What happens? You pick up a Hagar, and you have to live with the consequences for that for the rest of our lives. We are a people of the Spirit. We're a people of the Word of God. We go to our Lord, Jesus Christ, who paid his, uh, who, who shed his blood to buy us. We are his. We are no longer our own, and in, we are now under his lordship. And by the way, he has the best for us. And by the way, the best for us doesn't always feel good. Anybody experiencing that? There are always casualties. And so Rebecca, she bends Isaac, her husband's ears. And so we pick up in chapter 28, verse 1, and it says... Uh, chapter 8, verse, uh, sorry, 28, verse 1. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. And then he commanded him, hey, don't marry a Canaanite woman. I have to live with your mom. Don't do this. Verse 2, go at once to Padam Aram, to the house of your uh, father, mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. This was kosher back then. Remember, Abraham had sent his servant Eleazar uh, I, uh, Jacob's grandfather had sent his servant Eliezer to the same place, uh, to a land far away to get a bride for Isaac, and he found Rebekah, and they were, we were introduced to her brother Laban at the time. So we're going back there now. 
in just a few minutes. Go, go back to that place where your grandpa found someone, and where, where, where your grandpa found a wife for me. Go there, son, and go find a wife for yourself. Verse 3, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of people. May he give you, give you and your descendants the blessings given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. And now, verse 6, Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padanaram to take a wife from there. And that when, that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And, verse 7, that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and God to Padanaram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac, and so he went to Ishmael and married Mahathala, whatever her name is, sister of Neboeth, and daughter of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. And so we see Esau, as well as many other biblical characters, uh, engaging in polygamy, which is a wonderful subject. Uh, great. Having more than one spouse. And so they go ahead and he just decides to add another one. And, and I don't know if Esau's heart was to, to spite his parents or to, it sounds like it, but he goes to his Ishmael, which is, you know, his, his uncle. He goes to him and gets, a f- who's partly foreign, so to speak. But it seems like it was to say, you know what, forget you parents. I'm going to go marry someone that's going to really bug you. And so he decides to marry this non-kosher bride, right? <clears throat> and so how can these guys get away with this? I always ask this. Uh, how can these guys get marrying multiple wives? You know, we look at it from the... 2013 worldview, uh, Western culture, 2013 lens, and, you know, we think, hey, you, you should know better, right? Uh, well, they probably should have, but there was a lot of culture involved. We live in a culture that actually places values upon us that aren't necessarily godly nor God-ordained, and yet because it's so common, it seems like it's okay. And what I love about the Bible and and this is an important thing to note, is it's often like a newspaper. It records what happens. It doesn't necessarily endorse what is happening. It records the faults of all these men, all these women. You know, so when you're reading Job, you have to read that with a, just because these guys are talking to him back and forth and saying seemingly godly things does not mean that they are God-ordained things when they're having this conversation back and forth in the book of Job. When you have the recordings of what some of these men are doing does not necessarily mean that God is, is sanctioned to these things. He works in spite of them and through them. Does he not? Look at our families. Think God loves divorce? Yet how many of us have been touched by divorce? No, God hates divorce. And yet what does he do through sinful people? He shows his grace and his love. Does that give us license to go off and go sin? No. But we do get to experience the hand of God in the midst of our poor mistakes. And believe me, these guys are going to have trials and trouble in their life because of the decisions of adding all these women. Now, the law later on, it clarifies for the Jews. It clarifies, it talks about polygamy, and it kind of puts more parameters on it. And then you get to Jesus, and Jesus goes back, and he clarifies the original intent 
that marriage is in between one man, one woman, period. That's what Jesus said. And he went back to that. So he clarifies it's not between, uh, you know, one guy and, and five wives. One man, one woman. He clarifies that. He brings it back to the intent, the heart of what God created. And so just because the Bible records what a man or a woman of faith did does not mean that God's endorsing that act or decision. But quite often, like I mentioned, we can gain insight into the character who God is by how he interacts with people in circumstances like we experience. And it's careful, we have to be careful not to put our 2013 lens upon a cultural situation and just say, oh, look at this, they should have known better. Well, think of the things that maybe the New Testament church would look at us and go, what are you doing? That's not, you know, what it is to follow the Lord. But we are so inundated by our culture, by our media, by what the world says around us that we are desensitized in some ways to, to the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's called deception. Sin deceives us. And we all have, unfortunately, all, we all experience that in our lives. Nationally, culturally, in our families, in our relationships with one another. And oh, Lord, please let the Holy Spirit come and quicken our hearts to, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives even if it's contrary to what the culture says. And guess what? And this is why Jesus says, you know, if you, if you, basically, if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. Jesus is counterculture. He's even often counter-Christian culture. I, and I just want to bring this up, not to, not to stir it, but where in Scripture does it say we have to have this thing here and I stand here and you sit there? This is tradition. We could sit in a semicircle. We could have home fellowships. We could do church differently. They met in people's houses, New Testament church, did they not? They went to the temple to pray all the time. They were Jews, correct? That's where they prayed. That was their culture. But where is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Where is the church? No. You are the church. You are the light of the world. Wherever two or more are gathered, I am with you. There I am also. So there's a lot of tradition. Is tradition bad? No, not necessarily. But when it becomes more important than the heart of God, the will of God as we revealed in Scripture, then we've got issues. Then we are fighting for things that Christ not, might necessarily fight about or for. And so there's tremendous liberty freedom in Christ that we have to worship in different varieties of ways according to the scripture. Amen? So we'll, we'll get more into that. I don't even know how I got off on that. <clears throat> We're coming back now. So, uh, yeah, okay, verse, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and sent out for Han, and when, and when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set, and taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. How many of you use rocks for pillows? Okay, you'll, this is for you. <laughs> he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and its top reaching to heaven and angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13, and there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. 
and I will give you your descendants the land of which you are, in which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring, through your seed. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until you have done what I have promised. And so this is this interesting pattern again. As soon as Isaac leaves his, uh, the authority of his parents, he is now on his own, so to speak. God begins to speak to him on an individual basis. I love this. We, see, we saw that pattern with, with Abraham. We saw that pattern with Isaac. And now we see it with Jacob. And God reaffirms the covenant, the three parts of that covenant. The land, it's yours. The people, you're going to become a great nation. And lastly, the blessing. All nations will be blessed because of you and your seed. And the word offspring there, because of your offspring, is the seed. That's, that's Jesus. That is seed. That's singular. Because of him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And here we have Jacob, no doubt a deceiver. He's probably struggling with who he is, where he's going in his life. He sets his head down on a rock. And God reminds Jacob, I love this, I'm with you. He's out on his own for the first time. He's experiencing things he hasn't experienced before. He's fearing for his life because his brother's going to kill him. The pressure of going to get a wife. Hey, go get a wife. What kind of pressures are those in life? You're on your own. Go get a wife. Your brother's going to kill you. Have a nice day. Just go that way. God reminds him, I'm with you. I'm watching over you. Wherever you go, I'm there. I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised. I'm with you. I've got your back. I will complete what I began in you. Might not feel like it at the moment. I might be on a hard path with my head on the stone. Fear going on in my heart, but God is with us. He's, what grace do we experience in Christ Jesus? He's given this dream, which was as a ladder with angels ascending and descending. And this opens up the amazing topics of angels, which I'm not going to get into too much, but they were, they're present on the earth. Angels are present on the earth. The order isn't descending and ascending. They are ascending and descending in both places where it's mentioned in that, referring to this passage. They are here, and they go up, and they come down. So many places in Scripture it speaks of angels. And how many, oftentimes when we think of angels, where do we think of them? In heaven. And they are in heaven. They're worshiping God. They're going crazy, right? But they are present here. They're absolutely present here. The very early church was, it was so ingrained in who they were as 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 believers. They were very aware of them that when Peter was in jail, remember they were having the prayer meeting. I've mentioned this before. They go and they pray and they're praying, they're praying, Peter's in jail. Oh, then an angel releases them, right? And then Peter comes to the prayer meeting door, knocks on the door. Rhoda answers the door and she goes, okay, it's Peter. She closes the door on his face, goes back, tells the the prayer meeting, hey, it's Peter. And what do they say? Oh, it's, it's his angel. And they kept praying. What is that? There's this realization in the New Testament church of angels being present. Always. 
the church was admonished to show hospitality to strangers because they might entertain angels unaware. The women in the New Testament church were to wear head coverings in worship service as a sign of being under the authority because of the angels. What? Why did you put that there, Paul? What is that about? That there was a, there was an, and we're not getting into head coverings in this morning. We've got one who's complying this morning. You're awesome. <laughs> Two, that's like a, that's a half point. You got the headband going. All right, cool. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but the idea is, is, is submission to authority. Paul's talking about submission to authority. We're all submitted. Man to God, women to their husbands and to God. And he talks about submitting to one another in that verse. We're submitted. And the idea of the head coverings is the angels are really sensitized, it would seem, to that because someone in their ranks was not submitted to authority. And he took a third of their brethren, a third of the angels with him, fell to earth. And that is the demonic, angelic realm that the angels currently are fighting with. And by the way, our prayers affect how that stuff goes out. I don't have all the answers to it. But angels ascending and descending. It brings up spiritual warfare to take part, you know, that, that we are engaged in this world. And here Jacob is waking up to the fact that, whoa, there's another reality that's going on simultaneously with where I am and what's going on. And all this was hidden from Jacob's eyes. Listen to this. All this was hidden from Jacob's eyes until he encountered God. Until he encountered God. He was just going about his life, doing what he was told, going in this direction, and he had no idea. He had no idea that God was present, that there were angels surrounding him, that there was a war going on, he had no idea. Jacob was spiritually blind until he encountered God. Verse 16, And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. I had no clue. I had no clue. I had no clue. He was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob's eyes were, his eyes were opened to the reality of God. We're surrounded by people, brothers and sisters, some of you possibly this morning, who are asleep to the reality of eternity. Asleep. You've been lulled to sleep. You've always been asleep. And God wants to wake us up by his grace. The reality is that God is real. He is present. Angels are real. They are here in our worship service right now. Pondering, thinking upon how could God do this? How could God give grace to these people? How is he working in their lives? They're, they're trying to ponder the mystery of God's love for us that we sang about this morning. The scriptures talk about that in three or four different places. How many of you feel asleep to that? And unless the Lord, by His grace, wakes us up to these facts, the reality of eternity, the reality of heaven, the hell, grace, spiritual warfare. And guess how He wakes up people? 
Guess who his plan is to wake up people through? The church. We sang about it this morning. You are the plan. Can God usurp us? Yes, obviously he can. He can, he can meet people. You know, what about the, you know, the people who have never heard God in the middle of Iceland or something? You know, God can reach them. Don't worry about it. But right now, you, you're the plan. He wants to use you in whatever sphere, in whatever degree God is, uh, is calling you to. In your business, in your home, we are salt and light. And it says early the next morning, verse 18, Jacob, he took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it and he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Luz meaning separate. Bethel meaning house of God. Interesting picture there. By God's grace, each of us who knows God have been awakened to a new world. We wake up to a new world when we experience God. When we meet God, when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus, we're quickened. We're awake. And now a world, we live in a world where God is present in each of our lives and circumstances. You're not here by mistake. You're not going to Walmart by mistake. You're not, God is not absent from your life. He's present. A world where we're no longer unaware of his presence where we're no longer blind to his plan and our purpose in it. God wants to reveal that to us through a relationship with him. Relationships take, take time in hanging out, in dialogue, in texting. Right? Church, we've got to pray. Continue to pray for that awakening in each of our lives and in our church. A sensitizing of our spirits with his, a repentance from self and a will to follow. And may God awake us more and more to the reality of his son, who is the ladder, by the way, in John 15, 1. He is the ladder on which he is the gate, he is the path, he is the way to the Father. John 15, 1. I'm sorry, 151. All this dyslexic got it the first time. Then verse 20, it says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and watch over me on this journey I'm t- uh, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I can return safely from my father's fa- to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And so this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you have given me, I will give you a tenth. I love how Jacob responds to an encounter with God. He says, God, if... God, if you will do A, B, C, and D, I will do A, B, C, and D. How many of us have that kind of relationship with the Lord? No one wants to raise their hand. I do. (laughs) I remember that, especially early on, uh, you know, just first coming to the Lord, first waking up and going, well, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. You know, because you're not sure. You're kind of just stepping out. You know, there's a, an awakening, a quickening to the reality. But all the, you know, the, the, the years of theology yet to come, you know, the relationship with the Lord has yet to take effect in your heart. And you just, you're kind of baby stepping it. And we're going to see Jacob mature in this area as time goes on. That he doesn't have to say, okay, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. He doesn't have to manipulate the circumstances to receive God's blessing. He just has to ask pretty cool thing. Grace. You just have to ask. You don't have to jump through all the hoops. You ask. But I don't deserve. No, we don't. 
<laughs> Done. Jesus figured that out, paid that price. Now you can go up and down the ladder freely. You have access to the throne of God. You can run in and say, Abba, Father. That's so sweet. Love that. But we're going to see him grow in that area. But as we look close, I want to focus real quickly on what happens when a man like Jacob, and we're going to close here, when a man like Jacob, when a person who has not met God wakes up to God. And there's four things I want to share with you real quickly. When a person enters into a relationship with God, you can tell. And here's four ways that are in here. There are more, but here's four ways you can tell. First, there's a quickening in their spirit to the presence of God. There's a quickening in their spirit to the presence of God. If you're taking notes, now's a good time. Jacob woke up from that encounter a changed person. He was changed. He said in verse 16, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was now aware that God was present. And he, when, he, when we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the ladder to the Father, the only way, the truth, the life, it's the same. We can now sense his presence. We can now we know, realize we live in a different world than what we were asleep in. The lights got turned on. There's a new sensitivity happening in our lives. And we realize in my world, in my job, in my marriage, my wanderings, my times of the, in the desert, my times on the mountaintop, my sleep, my joy, my suffering, God is present. He's in it. There is a plan he is working through. And this causes us to see life through his lens. You might not have known it before, you might not have sensed it, but you do now. Welcome. Being born again, being illuminated in our hearts. We now have the Spirit of God that sensitizes us to the things that are happening all around us that we never saw before. God is active. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose. And by the way, his plan is for you to be a part of his plan. He experiences grief. He experiences joy. He experiences anger. He experiences love. We're we're awakened to these things. We can now sense God and we begin to discern his will because his spirit is within us and we have his word. We begin to ask what, what, what are you doing, God? And what is my part in it? We're sensitized to these things. So there's a quickening in our spirits when God is present. Secondly, quickly, when a person enters into a relationship with God, you can tell by their worship. They become worshipers. Now, verse 18 through 22 says, He took that stone and he made an altar and poured oil over it. When we're in a relationship with the Lord, we become Worshippers, we respond to the fact that he came to us. We respond in worship. He took that stone, and we talked about building that altar. It's a picture of prayer, a picture of sacrifice, a picture of devotion to the Lord, a picture of saying, hey, my eyes are upon you. And we start communing with the Lord. We start speaking to God. We become people of prayer, people of worship, people who have a heart that is focused towards the Lord. And I was just thinking about this. It's not really clear, but I see Christ as the rock a lot in Scripture, right? A lot, right? He's the rock. And I find that interesting coincidence that as soon as Jacob puts his, rests his head on the, the rock, he experiences God. Just 
I don't know. Take that for what it is. And the way we experience God, that the latter, Christ, is the same way we commune with God in worship. He is the latter. He is the rock. And that oil, that picture of the Holy Spirit. I mean, take it for what it is, but I just think the Lord is, every page has Jesus on it in the Old Testament. But he builds that altar with the rock. He pours oil over it and he worships the Lord. And now, real quickly, we often connect worship solely with music. That's, that's, a, that's a part of it. That's biblical. Don't get me wrong. There, there's the expression of worship in music. It's all throughout the scriptures. But it originates from a heart that says, God, I'm yours. And by the way, it doesn't always originate in us musicians. It, 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 it's expressed in our actions, in our daily life, our devotion. It's a heart that says, God, I long to please you. And that doesn't necessarily come out in singing. That comes out in various ways through which God made you. But I want to say that, that there's a quickening in our hearts to the presence of God. But we become worshipers. A worshiper. Worship is a life that says, I used to live in Luz. I used to be separated, but now I dwell in your presence. And I long to be here. I long to be in your presence, Lord. Let me live in your presence. So a person has that relationship with God, it will be evident in their awareness of God and also their worship of God. They'll be true worshipers. And thirdly, it will also be evident by their works for God. Their works. The second half of verse 22 says, In all, of, all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Faith without works is dead. And one of the most practical ways in which a person shows that they have faith that works is when in his or her works he gives to God. And you guys don't know, I don't talk about money and all that stuff. I'm not trying, it's just here, and so I talk about it. And that's one of the ways we show that we have faith in our life is to give. When you know, I'm a firm believer that Jesus' words are true. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. Where is your treasure? Where do you invest? That is where your heart is also. And we see these men of faith, when they encounter God, they were quickened in their hearts to the presence of God. They responded in their worship. They built the altars. They prayed. And they responded in their works. They actually demonstrated their faith by something they did. And by the way, it's not limited to giving. That is part of it. That is what they're actually doing here in this verse, right? But it's also in their thankfulness, right, with, with their hearts. They're, they're actually giving their lives. They're using their gifts, their talents. They're serving. They're evangelizing. They're, they're out there making an, a, an impact. Their faith has feet. It's happening. It's flowing through their lives. Now, when we get religious is when we are cut off from the head. We have no relationship with the Lord whatsoever, but I'm out there leading worship. And I'm out there, you know, doing, you know, giving money. Or I'm out there, you know, doing my thing. The world is full of religious people. We have to be a people who is connected to the head. You know, and, and a, it's going to be evident in the life of a person who's connected by God, in the way 
that they are sensitized to everything in their life God is working in. God, what are you doing? Where are you? What's today about? Like Jesus, early in the morning, seeking his face whenever it is for you. They're gonna be, it's going to be evident in their worship. They are worshipers of God. They put God first. He's not a leftover. You don't give him the last half. Oh, well, God, I've got to have my Starbucks. Repent. I'm like that. You know what I mean? Where your treasure is, your heart is also. It's a reflection. And so what happens is churches begin to manipulate people because there's not enough money or certain things aren't happening. And so we just got to call in the groups from the outside who know how to organize, you know, fundraising. And they call all the time and leave messages, by the way. You know, you need this. Well, you just got to strategize like this and this and that. No, it's, a, it's not a, a giving issue. It's a heart. We've been disconnected from the head. That's it. When I start, you know, a, a church without evangelism, has been disconnected from the head. A church without love has been disconnected from the head. A church without life has been disconnected from the head. A church without worship has been disconnected from the head. And we try to substitute that with lights. We try to substitute that with things that will draw people. We try to substitute that instead of we are a people who are connected to Jesus Christ and he is Lord and what do you want? I'm here. I'm worshiping you. I'm looking for how I can do it. And the Lord puts on our heart what to do, and it's expressed. And guess what? The kingdom of God is happening. People's lives are changed. It's Jesus, friends. It's never stopped being Jesus. If you're feeling like you're spinning the wheels, if you're feeling like there's a cog in your life, there's a, there's a, there's a wrench, if you feel distant, if you feel dark, if you feel like there's nothing going on, you feel like Jacob, put your head on the rock. Go to Jesus. Let him revive you once again. Let him speak to your heart. Go to Revelation. Read the book of Revelation. The first three chapters, beautiful words from Jesus to his church. How he loves you. He died for you to die and follow him didn't die for you to stay the way you are, to stay where I am. He wants his power living in and through this. And this is a voluntary part on our part and a work on, of the Spirit on his part. Any man who comes after me must pick up his cross, deny himself, and follow me daily, if you want. Now, any man who comes at you, you want to be my disciple? Die, and you will live. That Jesus is our model. And how do, how do we die? We look to Jesus, we're in his word, we're praying, and we just do what he says. We read it and we say, okay, Lord. Yes, you are Lord, I am not. Lord, seek me. Look in my heart. Show me if there's any way that's wicked and Lord God, direct me in your path. Help. How many of you need help this morning? How many of you feel tired and weary and broken and overwhelmed and you feel like church is perfunctory? It's just mm, <laughs> Sunday morning. You know, I mean, it happens. You start walking with the Lord for a while. You get familiar with things. You get desensitized. The culture overwhelms you. 
how's Jesus in your life today? And this is not a condemnation. I'm just saying it's, it's basic every time. How's Jesus? Is he what you live for or are you living for something else? Sometimes we get scared. God, are you going to take away this other thing that I like? Anyone? Maybe. Oh, that would be like death. Yeah. Kind of be like the cross. But guess what? It's keeping you from life. Come to me. It's a church. Those things, uh, I just want to really quickly repeat. Awaken to the presence of God. Jacob was asleep, and he woke up to the presence of God. He was sensitized. Secondly, he became a worshiper. We can't just worship. We have to be connected to God. Go for Jesus today. So presence, worship, it's evident in our works. It's not, they're not doing this on purpose. The lights are just flicking at me. And lastly, you know, I just say, you know, if you are weary and tired, put your, put your head on the rock. Rest. Rest in him. Put your full weight upon him. Look full in his wonderful face and let him just minister to your heart this week. And so I just encourage you to be a men and women of the Spirit. May you pray. You'd seek him for the answers. Reconnect with the head. Let him reevaluate your life. Don't make decisions apart from him. Just let him be Lord. And he'll have life flowing out of you in no time. Amen? Living water, torrents, that's, that's his plan for you. So let's pray. Father, we, we want to thank you for your spirit this morning. We thank you that we can look at the life of Jacob and we can see a man similar to us who's got family issues, who's got character issues, who's got just tons of stuff going on. Culture pushing down on him. And yet you met him in the wilderness when he put his head on the rock. And you revealed your plan for him was to give him land, to give him people, and to give, make him a blessing. Father, will you remind us that we have a land promised to us and we will be there one day and enjoy it. We have people that surround us right now and you want to multiply it like the stars in the sky, the sand of the sea. You want to increase our brothers and sisters, not just in this church, Lord, but all over the world. Let us be a part of that. And Lord, you want to make us a blessing. Help us to see this world through your eyes, Lord Jesus, as we spend time with you. So, Lord, we pray for your spirit to minister to your church and to not let the enemy come and pluck the things out that have been said this morning. Lord, bless us as we go, that we may be a blessing to you and to others. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.